Welcome, everybody, to the Tango One Podcast. I'm your host, Tony Smith, on a mission to uh, help you to do more and be more by encouraging you to take actions on your strengths and your weaknesses and to introduce you to some of the great people in my network that can help you do so. And today, I am pumped because this one I've been waiting for for months and months, maybe years, <laughs> is uh, <laughs> I have uh, Joe Siddle with me today. Joe is a broadcaster with the Toronto Blue Jays. He's a former baseball player, major league baseball player, played with several teams. We're going to talk about that. And uh, most importantly, he's a father and he's become a friend to me and somebody I really look up to uh, as he has his great family. Uh, you've heard uh, Mackenzie on the show before. And obviously I talked to Casey was the co-host of the show for so long and he is engaged now. Hey, soon to be your, your <laughs> son-in-law. So that, yeah, all these great things. I, I've got to know your family over the years. I'm just really, really happy and grateful you could come on the show today. I know you're busy. Lots of great things going on, Tony. I love it. Awesome, man. So, man, I don't even know where to start with you. I mean, I know it's in the middle of baseball playoffs right now. Probably by the time we uh, we release this thing, it'll be the the divisional series. So, sure. I mean, I love baseball, man, and I, I know you do too. But have these playoffs have just been – is this the best one I can ever remember? It's funny you say that. You know, we've been having those discussions, and, of course, we're pretty active on social media looking at fan reactions and all. And, yeah, a lot of people are feeling the same way. And um, some is being attributed to, you know, the way of the baseball lockout last winter. And it, it was finally solved a little bit late. So they lost some games early in the season. So they backed things up. And uh, they, part of it was the new playoff format with the extra wildcard team. And, of course, everybody's complaining now because the Dodgers are out and all these superpower teams, the Braves and the Mets won 100 games. They're gone. And, you know, I keep saying uh, you, you want to advance the playoffs, play better, regardless, regardless of whether it's a five-game series or a seven-game series. And, uh, you know, you got to give some serious credit to the San Diego Padres for knocking off the Dodgers and to the Phillies for knocking off Atlanta. And uh, there, there have been some great games, great finishes. We had the one day where there were just three dramatic finishes out of the four games being played. So it doesn't get better, any better than that for October baseball. Yeah, man, for sure. I was I was pulling for Seattle. I was bummed to see them get knocked yeah. out so quick. But man, Houston's a powerhouse. Year in, year out, it's just been they're like they just replenish. Like even when you think they're going to be down and out, they just find these new sluggers to come, you know. And like Pena, who hit the winning home run, like mm-hmm. never even heard of the guy until the playoffs, and all of a sudden, like he's just this stud. It's a joy of baseball, you know. You've got like the Astros, of course. They had the the scandal years back there, but I mean, the the way they rebuilt and they're just, what is this? Their sixth straight ALCS they're going to. And that's what, you know, when the Blue Jays got to the playoffs, everybody knew what the road was going to look like, but you want to try to take that journey. And uh, Seattle knocked off, unfortunately, the Blue Jays, but you just had to know going in like this, this Houston team is deep there. They've, I, what I really like about them, you talked about that Pena kid. Well, they let Carlos Correa go as a free agent because they had this Pena kid, like unbelievable how you can replenish a shortstop position like that. 
And then some of their young pitchers have now been to the playoffs two and three and four times, gaining more and more experience. And that's why, that's why I love where Houston is at in their uh, quest for a World Series here. Yeah, yeah, me too. I think that, I mean, they look great. I don't know. I think now maybe I'm pulling for the Phillies, but a couple of questions to ask you about like baseball. I know you probably get signal talking about baseball and people want to hear your story. Ever. No, okay. Okay. You can't say that if, even if you did, but yeah, <laughs> I mean, you'll love this is next week. I'm leaving uh, actually this weekend. You, you've met my boys a bunch of times. We do a boys trip, my five best buddies, and we all had little boys. So there's 10 of us going and uh, we go, for, we call it the fall classic. We go up for the DS series and uh, you know, we hang out at a cottage and we cook chili all day, you know, fish all day and then watch baseball at night. I'm going to go see uh, Casey and Brooks news place for the first time too. stay with awesome. them on Sunday night. So I'm pumped about that. But I wonder with you, like, do you, you know, in our day and when, like when you played, obviously it was only four teams making the playoffs. Like, what do you think about the expansion of, I think it's so much better because 162 yeah. games, like, and four teams at the end of it, it was, just didn't seem long enough. I like it, Tony. I, um, you know, there was a lot of talk about this throughout the Major League Baseball lockout last winter and what format they might go to. And of course, they had to agree with the players on it and the owners. Of course, the owners want more and more and more. They'll, they'll right. have everybody make the playoffs because you know what that means. <laughs> that, that, right. that almighty dollar means more games and that's okay for, for the owner side. But I think um, it can get a little bit too far. I think they've maybe found the perfect little happy spot there. I think if you went anymore, you're starting to get into that territory where teams might not even be 500 teams might sneak in. And I think that's going a little bit too far. So I think it's a, I think it's a good spot right now. I like the way the, the wild cards went and that it's a two out of three. Now I always nice. loved the single elimination wild card and the complaint everybody had, Oh, that's not fair. You can get knocked off. And I always said, play better win your division. Then like, don't be a wild card. So that's more incentive to try to win that division. So I, I do like the two out of three though. Now in watching and Look what happened to the Blue Jays in the first game of the wild card. They faced Luis Castillo, a fantastic pitcher who threw the game of his life. And it would have been done in one game. And, and that really would have been unfortunate. So at least they had to be beaten twice. And I thought that was very fair. So I do like that format. I do like the number of teams because I think it it, it drew interest from a lot of, maybe not a lot, but a, a, at least a handful more cities that would have not necessarily had that exciting baseball down the stretch. You know, the, the Milwaukee's, they were in it. Baltimore, my goodness, Baltimore out of nowhere was was kind of clinging late. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it did kind of help in that regard. And I think, you know, this San Diego team was, to be honest with you, they were kind of like on the bubble for a while. But I just, I feel like they're that team that really just underachieved and kind of got healthy and good at the right time. And they're on quite a roll right now. So I love the new format. Hope it sticks. And I'm sure it will. Yeah, they're kind of like the Braves of last year, I, I'm feeling, right? Like, they just got everybody's yeah. kind of moving the right direction at the right time. Like, Soto was struggling. Hater was struggling when they first moved over. And now they're all they're all just seem to be rolling the right direction. And how about those two names you just mentioned? How about that for a trade deadline? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. arguably the best closer in baseball, who was struggling at the time, but he's locked in right now. And you add a Soto for what will probably be three postseason runs. He's got three more years of team control before he's a free agent. Crazy. Crazy. And then the, the evolution of the game with like with the playoffs and how that the they're treating the starting pitchers as like everybody's available at all times. Like I'm finding that very intriguing too to watch and the strategy behind it. Like, you know, the Yanks pitching Garrett Cole for the whole game. And, you know, it's just it's really different to watch this whole dynamics. You being a catcher, how hard would that have been? How hard is that to catch that many different players in the game? It's just a different brand of baseball. And I think we've slowly gotten there with the advent of analytics really taking over the game. And let's not kid ourselves. The game's become smarter, right? The industry has become smarter because there are so many ways to 
evaluate players now with all of the data that they use. I mean, you know, in my day, Tony, we would have a pitcher catcher meeting before a game or before a series. We'd go over opposing hitters and we'd be looking at things like, you know, is, is, is he like to swing first pitch? Uh, what, what's his weakness with two strikes? Will he chase the fastball up or will he chase the breaking ball down? So those sorts of things, um, very real generalities, whereas now they're matching pitch planes of pitchers with their pitch design and the shape of their slider against a hitter's swing plane. It's unbelievable to bring in all kinds of the biomechanics type stuff. So the, the knowledge and the data is, is over the top. And I, I would even argue sometimes too much because these are still human beings playing. And just because his slider shape is this, it doesn't mean he has his best slider today. Like I know as a catcher, we have scouting reports and it says to do this. Well, if my guy doesn't have his best slider today, I might have to go to his curveball or his changeup. You have to adapt on the fly. And there may be not enough of that going on, but the power in the game, the power pitchers and the science has shown that you can, I'm not saying you can just teach everybody to throw a hundred, but you can teach proper pitching mechanics biomechanically to put yourself in a better position to throw the ball harder. And I think I always say, unfortunately, because I think at a younger ages now they're training for that. And, and you know, anytime that that body moves faster, there's more risk for injury. And that's why I think that is a dangerous thing. But on that topic, when you talk about the pitchers, you know, Garrett Cole, the stars will probably go deep when they're good. But other than that, they've got these high powered guys coming out of the bullpen and any hitter will tell you, I talk to these Blue Jays guys all the time. They're like, dude, we face a starting pitcher for like four or five innings. We see him twice. Then my third at bat, I get a guy throwing 99 with a nasty splitter. And then the closer comes in throwing 101 with a nasty slider. So you're seeing three and four different pitchers a game sometimes. And it's all high power. Hitting is probably as tough as it's ever been. So that's why pitching has kind of taken over the game. As a catcher, you you adapt, you adjust, you know your guys. It's always much easier if you've got your starting pitcher and he goes seven. And you get your setup guy for the eighth and the closer for the ninth. That was more what I was accustomed to when pitchers right. pitched well. But now, yes, some of the even really good pitchers, and you see it in the playoffs. Shoot, Dave Roberts with the Dodgers took Tyler Anderson out the other day, five shutout innings. Yeah, and exactly. and I'm I'm sitting there going, whoa, man, what do you why? Because the other thing, I mean, the 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 knock on that is now you need three and four relievers to all pitch well. So, and I, you know, I was against Kevin Gosman coming out of the Blue Jay game that they got eliminated because I thought he was cruising fine. They're at the bottom of the order. Leave him alone. Don't overthink it. You know, those are the, that's the argument. And that's the, that's the battle going back and forth in terms of using all that data or also kind of watching that game and, and having that feel by, uh, with your gut. Yeah, I, I, I hear you too. I was yelling it's at the TV when, when Gossam came out, me and my kids. I'm like, <laughs> my boys are like, what? Dad, they're winning. I'm like, I don't know. I'm, I'm, maybe it's just the old man in me I'm, I'm thinking. But speaking of that, the, the power. Um, yeah. Man, I was talking to my good buddies the other day. We were all the guys going on this trip, all the big baseball fans. And I'm like, man, I never thought that I would be the guy who enjoys this bat flip and all this celebration on these home runs. Like, but man, the other day when uh, the Phillies started bombing, the guy like basically Gronk spiked his baseball bat. I was like standing up in my living room, like, like so excited. I think that that evolution and, and as, as non-traditional as it seems and showboat, you know, it's just, it, it really adds a dynamic to the game that I think baseball was really missing before. It, it is certainly exciting to a point, and I say to a point because right. I'm a little older than you, and, you know, <laughs> it, in my day when I played, that didn't happen because that was, quote, disrespecting the game or disrespecting the pitcher. I'm kind of like that sportsman-like guy. Like, I think you can 
win a game or hit a home run and celebrate with your teammates, it's gone to the next level, no question. And we've seen some of that in the playoffs. You know, I've always been one that felt like if you're not staring at your opponent, that's kind of belittling your opponent. Celebrate your home run. Celebrate with your teammates. I'm all for high fives and fist bumps and all the things that they do or throwing the bat down toward your team's on deck circle. That's all cool. But I think sometimes it goes a little far when you start. Like if I was hit a home run off you and I stare right at you and give you one of these, like yeah. to me, that's a little much. Like keep the opponent out of it and yeah. celebrate your what you did. And I think that's the difference. You know, I was on the radio call for Jose Bautista's bat flip. If you oh, remember that, of course, we all remember that. Legendary ones. Legendary. And I say legendary because I still tell the story. I was talking to a couple of the camera operators in our studio just the other day because we were talking about this because this has been going on. And I said, you know, the best probably minute of my broadcasting career so far, I didn't talk. <laughs> <laughs> and it sounds really funny, but Jerry Howarth was my play-by-play guy, veteran guy of many, many years. He called the bat flip home run jose hit it out he called it and we went silent for like 45 seconds there were there were no words all it was you could just hear the stadium noise and the crowd coming into and this was on radio and to me that's that's the best radio or, or even tv you can provide as a broadcaster and then all of a sudden i think it was like 45 seconds later i think jerry came out with blue jay six rangers three and that's when i think i came out with jose bautista is unbelievable to this day i mean it's not scripted you just react right in the moment and i think it was because of what led up to that moment if you remember i mean the blue jays had been to the playoffs in 20 plus years and russ martin the inning before throws a ball back to the pitcher and it hits the knob of the bat of the hitter and the run scores i'm thinking are you kidding me that they're going to get eliminated like this? So there was a lot brewing. Plus it was Jose, you know, the face of the franchise. There was so much emotion there that he could have almost done anything in that moment. People asked me what I thought of that bat flip and I was totally fine with it. But what did Jose do? He flipped it toward the Texas dugout. He looked right at the pitch. I mean, he did all the things that I said. I I (laughs) don't really like, but man, emotion does take over. And I think that moment especially was off the charts compared to, I mean, we're seeing some of these things in uh, June the 4th and the 4th inning. Like, what is that? You know, kind of thing. So I think the, the the height of the moment does matter too. But unfortunately, we all probably have different perceptions of what's allowed and not allowed. And that's where the debate rages on, I think. Yeah. And you're in your day that you're plugging the next hitter, right? Like that. That's, you know, <laughs> that's, uh, most pitchers would be staring him down around the bases and yeah, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, that's that machismo and ego. It's probably not yes. necessary. But yeah, there's there was just always that. I use the word sportsman like maybe that's too nice a term, but, you know, just play your game, do your yes. thing, but don't rub it in their face. Yeah. Yeah, I've been talking to my kid. My little kids are with the football team I'm coaching, and, and they love to flex, which is actually they got that from me, like not a, as a showboat thing. Like we always do that at practice. And so they sure. start doing it in the games, and the ref comes and gives us a warning. And I, my talk to the ref was like, hey, they are not standing over players. They're doing it to each other. It's like the same as high-fiving. It's just what sure. we do. And the, like making sure that my kids understand that too, because I'm a big believer in that too. I think if you're cheering on mm-hmm. each other, you're doing that for like – you know, I don't like the dancing in the middle of the field after making a tackle or the symbol for the first down, but I do enjoy yeah. like a nice play. You, you know, you cheered on it, which is great. So, like, you talked about, like, with the game-changing tons, too, and, and the kids is, like, this is my first year I'm moving into uh, my oldest has become a pretty good ball player. I mean, he's only nine, <laughs> but we're moving into travel ball, and uh, I have to coach pitching and catching, and there's these insane pitch counts, and and I do believe in the pitch counts, don't get me yeah. wrong, and you, you and I have discussed this off-air about I'm a big believer in letting my kids play all sports 
Yes. And it's kind of gotten to the point where I, my son was, has become, I don't want to say too good for house league. It's just that they've, the travels have pulled so many kids out of house league that the house league has become not that fun for him to play. He makes a great play and there's not even a, there's nobody at second to even try to catch the ball when he, when he flips it over there. Right. Like that's become the, the progression. I think that's, I mean, it was a point like my, am I, I don't think I can change it. I think I just got to join it and hope to make a difference and make it more fun and less of a business. But I don't know. I know you're, you're very passionate about that. And so is your wife. And I've heard you guys both speak on that. Yeah. And I think what you're referring to right there, I've always said too, and this is interesting that some of the things you just mentioned right there, when I finished my playing career, I ended up going back to school and got my HK degree in sport management at oh, University of Windsor. Yeah. And you know, it was, I, I did it. More so because I think it was just one of those things that I hadn't completed. You know, I went away to school on a football scholarship. I did one year at Central Michigan University. Then I came home because I was offered a professional baseball contract. It was a really weird journey. That's for another podcast. (laughs) But when I went back to school, it was just that kind of thing. You know, a lot of people told me, oh, you're going to play pro baseball. And it didn't, you know, the message was not taken very well from school, which I understand. I was going back to my sophomore year with a chance to be the starting quarterback. And, you know, they, they told me you're, you know, baseball players have a chance of making their slim and none, and you're never going to get your education, all those things. So I don't know if there's that little bug in my head all my life saying, I am going to get that education. Now I'm going to finish it. So long story short, I got to finish it, which is wonderful. But while I was finishing it, I learned so much. And I think sometimes when you go back to school, when, you know, I don't know if I was like 40 ish, you, you just have a very different perspective. And right. there was a sports psychology course or all these things. And I'll never forget the sports psychology course was one of my first courses. And I was so engaged in it because there was a lot of what you were just talking about right there. And here I am, I was coaching kids at the time. So I think the prof had a lot of fun with me because you basically got a dad in the room with a bunch of 20 year olds. And I, I had some of those stories, but what you had just said right there is, is it also important for kids to have the route the right kind of arousal level, right? I mean, if you're the, if you're way more talented than the kids around you, you write it or you throw a ball to first base and the first baseman can't catch that kind of stuff. So I think you want to play at your appropriate skill level. Otherwise you're also not doing those kids are you're kind of doing them a disservice. I think, right. You know, maybe, maybe if a child is really good in baseball, they're playing the travel caliber, maybe hockey's not necessarily their great thing, but they play house like hockey in the winter or something right. like that. I know that's what I did. I, um, I think for the most part, now that's going back a lot of years, but I did like that all-star travel, whatever baseball was. I played house league hockey. And by the time I got to high school, it was football in the fall. It was basketball in the winter, like literally the day football season ended. I was in the gym trying out for the basketball team. And then when basketball ended, I was literally out in the backfield trying out for the baseball team. So I thought that was a, when I look back and reflect back, like nobody gave me this message. Nobody said it's important to play all sports and do all these things, but that's just, you know, my generation is a little different. We were out there doing everything as kids. We were out there playing football in the field. Then we were playing soccer and we playing home run derby at, at central parks. So we just did all those things. And maybe it is a little bit different now with kids, but long story short, I think get them what they're most engaged in. That's great. But I would also highly encourage a variety of sports. And if they're, you know, some kids are going to be really good at everything. God, I talked to some big league ball players right now, and you know it's it's amazing. I talked to George Springer. Here's a hundred fifty million dollar man for the Blue Jays, and he preached doing all those different sports. He he said I didn't want to play baseball all year. Now he's he was from the Northeast, up in Connecticut, I think. So it's a little different than the kids that are from Texas and California. But yeah, the variety of sports I will continue to preach because. Um, you know, there's the old saying, if you're good enough, they'll find you. But I just think it helps you cross train almost. And, you know, you're into fitness and yeah, I can't imagine the, 
the wear and tear on your body physically, muscles, tendons, ligaments, all that, if you're doing the same thing all year. But more importantly, it's right here mentally because that can be draining. And we've, I, we've seen it as parents, you know, by the time kids get 14, 15, 16 year old, and they were just hammering, say hockey all their lives coming up and then they just burnt out. Yeah, man. I just wish we could, I wish we could play the level of ball without having to play 60 without or whatever yeah. we're slotted for this summer. Right. Like yeah. completely commit our whole family and let alone having the two boys. It's like, man, how can I do both of these kids yeah. and, and give them both equal opportunities? That's a, a bridge I got to cross, I guess, but you know, uh, one beautiful thing around Windsor-Essex still, and I've been telling people this now being involved with Windsor minor football, is that football is the only, I call it the only true sport left that was like when we were, when I was a kid growing up in this area where there really isn't any other level of football for youth to play. Like they're going to play here, no matter who you are, you get put in this league and there's some very talented players. So some never play. There's, you know, some hefty kids, let's call them. There's some skinny kids, there's fast kids, there's slow kids. They all play and integrate. It's a real short season. You play one all-star game at the end and then that's it, right? Until you move up and you're 15, 16. And then maybe it's time to kind of, you know, lean into playing a little bit more in, a, in, you know, focusing maybe on just football and baseball. Whereas I loved when I grew up too, it was like right from football to basketball season to track to baseball. And it was just a full cycle and you got to do so many things. Yeah, I think that, that for me, it was the high school level where that's when I kind of you, know, you have to choose the seasons. You can't really do two things in one season. So that's where it did make it easy. But up until then, I mean, you know, most kids in grade school, they're playing all the variety of sports and that's wonderful. I know our kids did it too. And I think they love that part of it, you know, yeah. it's soccer and right away. And then I went into volleyball and basketball and cross country and track and field and all these things. Oh, I encourage all young kids in elementary school levels to do that. And then, yeah, for high school, that's generally when you're going to pick and choose a little bit, but I still don't say pick and choose one sport, pick and choose two or three. You can still do that in high school with the seasons yeah. and i'm curious with you so like uh, i had luke wilson on here and luke and i spent lots of time together and one of his he delivers the very same message that you're saying that i very much support as well and he's a, a guy just like you who you know he he was actually opposite kind of what you just said he was thought he was going in baseball and yeah. uh, ended up in football and I, I love the outliers and luke told a great story about he's just at a camp and he said he just was not having fun at the camp, told his mom he wanted to leave. He's like, you know, right at the, this is like a recruit camp. And she's like, well, why don't you just switch? Just go to offense then. And he goes to tight end, gets noticed by a guy who's there to coach DBs, and the rest is history, wins a Super Bowl. Like, what was it for you? I, I didn't realize that you played quarterback in Central Michigan. Like, that's that's incredible in itself. <laughs> like, and then yeah, you end up was, in baseball. It was very different. You know, I, I, I loved all the sports, and people say, what's your favorite sport? And I used to say, I think whatever was in season. You know, in summer, I loved <laughs> – baseball and then fall rolled around. I loved football in high school. Uh, I loved basketball when winter rolled around. But what happened was I was, I remember, I think it was my final year of high school and my coach came up to me on the practice field. It was late in the season and I wasn't considering at all. I was probably going to go to the university of Windsor, play for the Lancers, play for Lancer football. And I remember meeting with Gino Fracas one day in his oh, office, at the HK building. Says, yeah. So I yeah. was right at the, I was at assumption. So I literally crossed the field one day after school and went and met with him. And then there was one day when my, my high school football coach, Jeff Owen, came up to me on the practice field at the end of practice. And he said, what would you think about going over to the States to play college football? And I'm kind of looked at like, what? And cause I wasn't thinking about that at all. And he said, well, there's, there's some interest, some team expressed some interest and it was central Michigan university. So 
one thing leads to another. The coach comes over and talks to me and there was a recruit video. Somebody got a video, whatever. And um, yeah, they come over and recruit. So I, here I am accepting a full ride football scholarship to Central Michigan University as a quarterback. So I went there my first year. But when I came home, just before I came home in April, we had spring football, which was the whole month of April. And the quarterback the previous year was a senior. So he was leaving. He was a uh, small, fast, option-type quarterback. He was graduating. There were two guys left. Well, there were three or four guys left, but the next kind of two in line for a starting spot the next year, myself and another guy who was a year older than me. I think he was a redshirt sophomore, so one year ahead of me. So in the spring, we played the maroon and gold game at Central Michigan. He quarterbacked one team. I quarterbacked the other. And it went okay. I think it was just fine. I think it was not nothing much to report, but I think I had a decent game, nothing special. And um, going home that summer now, after school ended, I was coming back to hopefully duke it out with him to see who'd be the starting quarterback. I'm home in like late July and I get a call from a local scout with the Montreal Expos that they're hosting a camp out at Lacoste Park in Tecumseh. And they do these all over the country, just these random camps and come on out, two-day camp, I think it was. So I said, "Ah, sure, if you want to bring some friends, he said, sure. So a few of us went. I thought nothing of it, Tony, like nothing. I was thinking of it's just something to do during the day. And I went out, had, guess I had a couple of good days. And normally what they do with these camps all around Canada is they'll invite a couple of kids, say from each camp to Montreal, to Olympic stadium and have one final camp. And then they might sign one or two or three to professional contracts. Well, when the camp was done, the scout after the two days, he called me and said, we'd like to sign you to a professional contract. And I'm thinking, what do you mean? Like, no, I got to go back to school in a couple of weeks. This was like end of July. And I was going back mid August for two days and classes. So I was kind of like, well, no, I can't do that. Like I have to go back to school. And they're like, no, no, son. Like we, we need to probably talk to you and your parents together to explain how this works. So they came over, explained it all to us, took some for dinner and um, explained like, yeah, no, this is like professional baseball we're offering you where you would leave school. Like that'd be no longer. And I'm kind of like, whoa, what? So it took me a little while. It took me a week to kind of, you know, decipher all this. We didn't really know. My parents were a little older. They didn't get how this stuff worked. And I was thinking, what do you mean? Like, so long story again, short is it's just, I, I, I kind of, I think the, the basis of my decision was that school would always be there if I wanted to finish my education or do something. Now I would be giving up an opportunity to play football, which I love, but that baseball might've been, this might be that one opportunity. I was hoping to play baseball at school at central Michigan. And I got a call from the baseball coach, coach in the spring in my dorm. But I said like, yeah, I'd love to come out, but I'm on a football scholarship and they kind of own you. Right. So you got to go to spring football as a young quarterback is pretty important. So, and I, I ended up finally taking about a week to decide and I decided to, to, to sign the professional baseball contract. But in doing that, then when I made that decision, I had to call the school and let them know I'm not coming back. This is like two weeks before. And I was a candidate to be a starting quarterback. So I called my positions coach and kind of gave him the whole spiel, talked to him for about 15, 20 minutes. And he's just railing me, talking about what a mistake I'm making. And, you know, how much like I said earlier, you know, chances of making it in baseball are slim and none. And you're never going to get your education and puts me on. He transfers me to the head coach. Same thing for another 15, 20 minutes. <laughs> he transfers me to the athletic director of the university. Same thing for another 15, 20 minutes. So I, here I am, 19 years old. I'm just shaking on the phone and I'm sweating now. And I'm thinking, oh my God, what am I doing with my life? You know. And what I wanted to say is I'm not calling you to ask your opinions. I'm calling you to tell you I've made a decision, right? But I didn't, didn't have that in me at that age. So I always say it was the worst phone call of my life. And I, the reason I say it was the worst phone call of my life is I think I really felt like I was letting them down big time. And I felt like I was being really selfish. And that, I didn't, that wasn't me. 
And that's why the guilt was there. I, I just felt awful. Now, looking back now, I don't feel guilty at all, right? I was kind of, yes, selfishly taking care of myself or looking out for myself and wanting to chase the dream that I wanted to chase. I mean, meanwhile, I was already chasing one. I was at school on a full ride football scholarship getting to play football. So very difficult decision, but wow, hashtag grateful, right? Like what? A, yeah. <laughs> how fortunate was I to have a decision to have to make like that? And as they say, the rest is history. I ended up playing baseball for several years, ended up going back when I finished my playing career to finish my degree. So kind of knocked all that out. And I mean, I'm not sitting here today if I didn't make that decision, right? I mean, what if I never, maybe I'd be broadcasting football. I don't know. But, but yeah. <laughs> the only reason I actually became a broadcaster was because I was a former major league baseball player. Like, yeah, so life is crazy. That is that is a wild story. I love hearing stuff like this. And I've like, people know I you and I've had conversations lost. I've never heard this story. Like you've never heard it from <laughs> really? Casey either. It's, it's outstanding. And it's always mind blowing to me. I mean, being a guy who was an okay athlete, seeing you freaking guys who are like, Oh, you're, oh, you're so good at football. And then you're so good. at Like, I remember the Detroit Lions coming to my high school to play basketball against us. And it was like Jason Hansen, the kicker. Remember him? Yeah. yeah he's like yeah. lighting us up. I'm like, oh, this guy's the freaking <laughs> kicker. And he's like, unreal. Like every, I'm like, all these guys can hit like no matter where. And Casey's made that funny story. He's like, you know what it's like to go play sports at the Siddle household? And Casey was obviously a good athlete too, right? Like, you can't I put like Casey kind of like me. And then he's like, you know, they got all these, they're, they're there, they're, they're outside shooting baskets. Like, Casey, have you ever seen him shoot basketball? Anybody who's listening, like, you know, that's not his game. But he's like, it's like the worst. They, they kill me and everything. And I think that yeah. is just hilarious. You had a whole house full of these, like, scholars. Well, when, when, like, what he's referring to, though, like, Detroit Lions players, and I say that with all these baseball players, they're just, they're all great athletes. You're right. They're great athletes. They do, they can do a lot of things really well. Now, in saying that, I remember working over with the Tigers in Detroit, and some of the Red Wings would come over and take batting practice. And, man, you watch some hockey players take some baseball swings. It's pretty funny. Now, mind <laughs> you, I'm sure if you put some baseball players on skates, that'd be pretty funny, too. So, I, I guess you could say we all have our strengths, because I've seen Casey do some pretty wild things, oh, too, by the way. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah <laughs> on like, skis and everywhere else, yeah. Yeah. He's in, he's insane when he does those things. It's mind blowing what he does on skis and every and everything. And he's a he's a daredevil man. He jumped off the yes. box. I'm like, what the? You're crazy. No. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it's pretty funny to say, and uh, you know, and I love teasing Casey about his basketball game, but and he loves he, <laughs> he loves teasing me about my dancing game. So we'll leave it. Wow, that that'd be me. I'm in your camp. So you and I we're not dancing. <laughs> exactly. Well, I shouldn't be, but I do. Zero rhythm. <laughs> so man what i really want to talk to you about like i love the sports and I, I obviously it's it's a passion of mine and to see somebody to talk to somebody who's, who's been there and done that i love hearing these stories um i do have a couple more baseball questions for you but and then i really want to get on to like the family stuff because that's where i think like sure. i can learn so much from you and so can my listeners but like maybe what, what was the biggest like moment where you're just like holy shit like here i am like in yankee stadium or what's what's that moment for you when it was like man I, i'm here you know, probably had to be my first major league call up. I was uh, playing in AAA Ottawa uh, with the Lynx and I, we were playing, I wasn't even the starting catcher at the time. I was backing up kind of playing sparingly and it was about my sixth minor league season. So I kind of moved up the minor league ladder somewhat appropriately, you know, level at a time, but I was kind of the backup catcher. I wasn't a guy that hit much, but strength, my strength was defense, good defensive catcher and did all those things behind the plate. And I wasn't playing regularly and we lost uh, a game late might've been extra innings in Ottawa. And after the game, I was down the bullpen. I wasn't even playing warming up pitchers. So after the game, we came in and I, I went and sat in my locker room, big clubhouse. And the way it was situated though, is you came through the tunnel from the dugout and even the manager had to come through the tunnel, walk through the clubhouse to get to his office. 
And my manager was Mike Quaddy. And Mike Quaddy managed briefly in the big leagues, I think, for the Cubs. Been in the game a long time. But he was kind of known to – we used to call it a mood ring. Like, he could be on top of the world one minute, and the next minute he's just scowling at you about something. So we always, we always said, oh, the mood ring is a little dark today or the mood ring is a little brighter today. So we kind of joked and laughed about it. But he's walking through, and he looked right at me with this scowling look, and he was like – had his finger saying, like, come here, come with me. And I'm thinking, oh, my God. So, first of all, he's pissed off because we just lost the game. But I'm thinking to myself, I didn't even play. Like, what did I do wrong? Did I not warm up a pitcher right or something? Like, I couldn't figure it out. And at the time, I was probably, what was I? I was maybe somewhat of a veteran on the team. Not totally, but – and I thought, so maybe he's calling me in just to go over something that happened and maybe I wants me to address the team or something. Well, as I'm going to his office, there was a guy behind me, a guy by the name of Gil Heredia. He was a veteran guy, a little older than me. He had been to the big leagues as a pitcher before, so he's right behind me. So I'm thinking, okay, now it's making sense. He wants Gil and myself. He wants to address something with us and have us address it with the team. That's totally what I thought. So we get in there, and he's got that scowl on his face still, and he puts his feet up on his desk, crosses his arms, and he looks at, looks at me and, and looks at both me and Gil and says, you guys are going to the big leagues tomorrow. And I like, I think like I just kind of went numb. Like I had this tingle through my body. First of all, thinking he was pulling my chain, right? Like I just know he's joking. And, he, and I said, yeah, right. And he said, yeah, you are. And that's when it went, whew, because now I knew he was serious. And uh, first of all, I'm thinking, how the hell am I going to the big leagues, right? But then the wheels get spinning. The manager of the Expos at the time was Felipe Alou. This is 1993. I had him as a manager three years earlier in 1990 in the uh, Florida State League in, in A-Ball, which is in West Palm Beach. And he, I, was, I caught a lot that year, and he loved me as a catcher. That was my, my thing, and he loved having me behind the plate, handling pitchers. That was, that was, he always said it was like having another coach on the field. So I knew he really liked me as a defensive catcher. That was the big uh, feather in my cap. So I'm thinking he wants me for defense up in the big leagues, whether somebody got hurt or what. I didn't try to figure it out. I just said, I'm going. Well, he said, yeah, you're going to Pittsburgh tomorrow. So the, the Expos, I almost said the Blue Jays, the Expos were in, um, in Pittsburgh. So flew to Pittsburgh and got the cab to Three River Stadium. And back then, the, the old Three River, River Stadium. Yeah, right where the Steelers played and all like yeah. that for me are my childhood memories. So when I first got dressed, got the union, I was coming out for batting practice the first day. I remember coming out of the tunnel and you, usually there's a long hallway tunnel that leads to the dugout. And then you come out of the dugout. And I think I just looked up like this and it was like, wow, like I'm just looking at the stadium and the bleachers, like the, the stands and how high they go. And in my head, honestly, I was thinking a little football too. I was thinking, well, this is where the Steelers played. The Pirates played all those years, right? And all those things go through your mind. That's probably, that was the aha moment if there was one, because it's a moment like I'll probably never forget. You always play this game or whatever professional sport to get to the top. You know, baseball players play to try to get to the big leagues as unrealistic as that dream may be. And it happened. And I wasn't at the time either thinking, I, I got to take this in because I don't know how long it's going to last. It was just, I just, it caught me. It caught me like, wow, this stadium's a lot bigger than the ones I've been playing in. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and then the nostalgia of it being Three River Stadium was, that's the moment I, I probably look back on and, and really recall. That's amazing, man. I love hearing that. I, I always like when you, you tell them that story, I just remember walking even the catwalks at Old Tiger Stadium. I walked, yeah. walking into the outfield, like upper deck with my dad the first time as a little kid, like, and then I can imagine being like, now you're doing that as like an actual, like you're getting on this as field. a player. Right. Yeah. That's gotta be an outstanding feeling. Tiger stadium was uh, probably still my favorite though. I mean, I loved, I love the old ballparks. I mean, Wrigley was awesome and still love Fenway, 
But I think Tiger Stadium, growing up a Tigers fan, that was second to none. I mean, coming coming in there and coming out of the – people always joke about how Ty Cobb banged his head on the dugout ceiling there. So did I. Everybody does. Like, it's just – it was so funny to hear all those stories and then see it. I mean, this you remember those dugouts? They were like yeah. – they probably fit about 12 people. <laughs> Meanwhile, you're trying to cram in like 30. And, uh, yeah, that's uh, – I'll never forget that too because do you remember the bullpens at Tiger Stadium down the oh, yeah. line? Yep. And they literally had those little caged kind of bullpens. I mean, this sounds like historic now because it's these new stadiums are so beautiful. But yeah, that those are special. And I think number one, I grew up going to games there, right? So it's it was probably even more special than that first one I just described, just because it was Tiger Stadium. And uh, and certainly now when I look back now, of course, favorite place to play by far. Yeah, I mean, when did it close? 99, 98, something like that? 99, I think, or 2000. I was there 98. It might have been the next year. So you got there and were able to experience that. Right at the end. Yes, right at the end. That's awesome. Yeah, I remember actually leaning over those... uh, even over those bullpens and asking people for autographs, how close yeah. you were. Like you can, right. I remember like Mike Henneman of all players. I remember that he was yeah. a closer for the Tigers for a while. Yep. I remember him saying like, no kid, I can't give him during the games. We're not allowed. Like, and it was like, man, this is like crazy. Like you were like right there talking to these players. Like it doesn't, <laughs> I don't think that happens like that quite anymore. Yeah. I remember that guy too. And I think too, when you look at, um, you know, me being from Windsor, and I'm down there before a game. So you can imagine a lot of Windsorites go to right. Tiger games. So, I mean, it's before the game. I'm catching the guy, pitcher, getting ready to game plan and get in. Like, And I got all these people I know. Like, hey, Joe, come on over. Come on. They want to say hello. And that's like, you know, people forget you kind of got a job to do, too. <laughs> so that was always challenging. In fact, if you ever get Luke Wilson again, get, get his story. Because to this day, there is the story that, he was down there with his dad and his brother and I was signing a bunch of autographs and I made it all the way down this line and then stopped at him and he started crying. Oh yeah. So to this day, there's a, yeah, there's a story about that. His dad originally told me and then Luke reiterated. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh, that is awesome. Well, he's yeah. the one that turned into the star though. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was awesome. Uh, actually, I saw that happen to you on the other side of this thing too, at the blue Jays game. That was, uh, that was not my son's first baseball game, my two boys, but it was probably the first where they were old enough to really remember. Sure. And you were there and we walked by and saw you, uh, you know, you guys had, we were set up actually right on the, like the complex or whatever you yeah. call that. Right. And it must have been Windsor day. I mean, you were getting yelled at like, <laughs> like nonstop. And uh, what was awesome to me, which was an important moment to me, was like, you saw my little boys and you like, it completely stopped. I knew you were, you were trying to like, you know, do your job and ignore I probably all the people calling your name all the time. And it ran over with my sons. And that was awesome. Like seeing them, I was like being in that game with those kids and, and trying to catch Cabrera's last home run. Yeah. Home run and it didn't, didn't work out that day, but the next day it happened. Those were fun moments. We get a lot of people around our set right there on the concourse in the stadium here. And if we have time before our show, usually we can engage a little bit and take some pictures and sign some autographs and it's all fun. But yeah, it's funny when you said that, because anytime I hear the word Windsor, boom, I just, my ears go up and I just go, Hey, where are you from? Yeah. Where'd you go? <laughs> so we have some good conversation. Yeah. You got to take care of the home people, right? Yeah, that's good. It's, I, I love Absolutely. that part about it. So uh, yeah, the family stuff, man, this is what I, I would love to talk to you about. Cause I feel like, you know, you mentioned you are a little bit older, but you're not that much older. I think you're like, you're like, I'm like just following right behind you in like that those, those stages of life that we, we kind of go through. And you're at the point where, you know, well, now you're all your kids are pretty much moved out of the house, right? Yeah. They are all moved on. You're not, I mean, you're, you guys are kind of like moving around all the time too. But when I first yeah. met you, you know, the, everybody was still at, at home in South Windsor there. And it was, I would, I, 
I've said this to Brooke before and I'm like, man, I want my boys to be so excited the way that, you know, your girls and, and, and boys are to go home and to just be there for whatever it is. Like not even Christmas dinner. It's like, just like, Hey, we're having family dinner on Sunday and they're, they're pumped and they're, and you guys are generally so happy together. It's like, it's clearly obvious when you walk in a room with the Siddles and, and all the, the boyfriends and fiancés and whatever else they have now that it's like, it's, it's love. And that's what a family should look like. Like, man, how, how does, after all these years, how do you keep them so engaged and, and wanting to be around? Well, that uh, again, gave me a little shivers there, Tony. That's, that's pretty cool. I, um, I hope they feel that way about coming home and wanting to come home. And, you know, I think it, as parents, you know, my wife, Tamara and I, we like, I don't think there's a parenting guidebook, right? You kind of do what you think is right all along. And that starts right at the beginning, right? Of course. And that was just always one of those things. I think over the years, you know, despite my career playing and being away when I was, because Brooke was born in 92 and I got to the big leagues in 93 and I finished playing in 2000. So it's a long time. So we did have those kids along, you know, I'm taking off for spring training and, Tamara's packing up some kids and coming to Florida for a week or two. And then, you know, taking them out of school for a week or doing, we did a lot of that. And then during the season, I remember by the time I got to, I was playing in Ottawa in 93. So she would come up with Brooke and then she'd, she'd um, take some time off work to come when I was at home. And then when I went on the road, she'd come back home to Windsor and work a little bit. So she had a lot of flexibility with her job, which was phenomenal. But man, yeah, a lot of back and forth, a lot of traveling, a lot. And that's why I think when I finally came home at that time, it was 2000. Now, Kevin was born 99. So we had four children at home, as you can imagine. I, my last season too, I played in Toledo with Tigers in 99. But in 2000, I thought I'm going to, I'm not going to pursue anything, but if somebody calls me, I'll maybe give it one last shot. And wouldn't you know, at the first day I was a minor league free agent, I got a call from the Red Sox. So I said, sure, I'll, I'll sign with them. So I went to spring training with them. So Tamara packed them all up, came to Fort Myers for spring training. And uh, that season, it was about mid-season, early June, when I finally, I certainly felt being that far away. And it was almost, I got to the point, you know, when you'll hear athletes say that they, they, they lost that fire or the fire wasn't burning anymore. It got to a point where I literally was not excited about getting called up in September to Boston, if that was going to happen, because that'd be another month away from home. And that's, what I think I had that moment too. And Tamara and I talked a lot and it's just like, what are we doing here? So could I have kept playing? Absolutely. I probably could have played. I think I was 32, 33 when I finished. I probably could have played a few more years, but yeah, for what? You know, it's just kind of crazy. So I came home, it was mid-June when the kids were getting out of school. It turned out to be the greatest decision I ever made. And then uh, the rest is history, right? Like I, I ended up staying, you know, being the stay home dad thing and coaching their teams. And then I got a call from the Tigers. I got a few calls of when I retired about coming back and managing the minor leagues or coaching. And I was like, well, that would be cool. It's also the reason why I, why I came home. Like, I don't want to do that anymore. <laughs> I'm done with that. So I said, like, thanks, but no thanks. But then when the Tigers called, they said, well, then what about coming over? This was probably in, I think, 02. So maybe I was home for a year or two. So what about coming over and just helping with batting practice, throwing BP and kind of being around and you know, staying involved in the game? And I was like, hmm, that sounds kind of cool. I didn't have to travel. I just go over like at 2.30 in the afternoon, drive over and put the uni on, go in the clubhouse, and go to the batting cage and feed soft toss to some of the hitters, throw some BP. About 5.30 when batting practice was done on the field, I'd get my car and come home. So I was able to get to the kids' practices and games. It was crazy. A lot of running around over the border, back and forth and all, but we made it work. So going back to what you're originally saying, I think, 
from day one, like we were just, I don't know, we were, I don't want to say like those laid back parents, but we weren't too crazy about everything. Maybe the kids had, I don't know what the explanation is. You know, you would just be yourselves. And like I said, there's no parenting guidebook, but it sure is nice. I've always said like, it's so nice to be with your kids right now. We weren't always because I was on the go a lot, but usually one of us was like Tamara is always home with them when I was gone or I was when I finished playing, I was home kind of full time as dad while she was kind of working and still home. But so there was a nice mix there. And, um, you know, you you kind of nourish those kids and, with love and you, you hope things work out. But, man, we yeah, we've got some outstanding children. I tell you that much. And, uh, you know, you'd like to think that that upbringing and your parent, parents everywhere probably ask the same question. We do too. We don't know what's right, but you do what you think is right. And uh, you hope it works out and they've all turned out pretty good. And it's uh, love hearing those stories that when they love to come back home, because we love seeing them too, as you know. And uh, now it's got to be odd for you because now they're kind of doing to you what you used to do. Like they're, yeah. they're spreading out everywhere, right? Like I mean, love that though. They're in Sault Ste. Marie. Yeah. That's what I was wondering. Like, are you, does that upset you or does no. that double-edged sword maybe a little bit? Not at all. You know, there's one thing in Tamara taught me that line long ago is uh, roots to grow and wings to fly. Right. Like that's awesome. Oh, that's amazing. It is. And one thing we, all three of our kids did is they all went away to school. And we, we joke about this internally in our family and Tamara and I, because Tamara's, Tamara came from five girls and her dad, her parents always felt like they should go away to school. They, you got to go. It's a growing experience and you got to go. And of course, they were fortunate enough to be able to do that. And then I always looked at her and was like, ah, that wasn't necessarily the thing in my family. I came from nine kids, you know, and I was the youngest of nine and we had seven and a big gap and two more. But I was kind of like, that wasn't really in our DNA, right? So I was kind of like, whatever. And uh, the funny part is that I now feel kind of like her dad or her parents did. It's like, are, we, we, I guess we kind of encouraged our kids to go away just because it'd be a great growing experience. But at the same time, of course, you have to be ready. But I think each one of our kids was. And Brooke ended up going to Guelph and played hockey there, which was cool. And it turned out to be a fabulous experience. She loved it. And then Brett ended up getting this baseball scholarship to Canisius and Buffalo. And so he went away and he loved it. Like it all kind of went well. So when things go well, it's obviously a positive story. And then Kenzie came around and she packed up both her hockey bag and her base softball bag and went out to UBC and was going to try out for both teams while she made the softball team. And it turned out to be the greatest thing she ever did. Like, so three great stories. And when we look back now as parents, I mean, I would encourage that for anyone that you know, it, it can make that affordable. It can make the, the life experience of our kids going away to school, I think was wonderful. And I, I would hope and think that they would say the same thing, but uh, it turned out great. And that's why when you talk about, you know, roots to grow, wings to fly, the fact that they were wanting and able and excited about doing that excited us because it means they've got that confidence to take on the world now. And that's a wonderful thing at what, 18 years old. Yeah. Not for everybody. Not for everybody, right? It doesn't happen for everybody. But when I look back, we're very fortunate and again, majorly grateful that they were in that position. Yeah, that, that's outstanding. And, you know, every time I talk to them, they, they, they're always like, they always express that too, about how like, they're so happy to be here, but they're I'm always like, where next? Like, especially with Mackenzie, like where next? Like, she's always right. like, you know, like, and she's so excited and has got that, like, I don't, and I feel like every person in your family always like gives you that like welcoming, like that hug and embrace every time it's, which is like, I, I think is great. And, you know, I think we'd be uh, with, you know, with Kevin and the tragedy that happened. And, and yeah. I remember when I first learned of this, 
coming from an Italian family, I was like, you know, like, oh, Brooke lost her, her brother years yeah. ago. Like, you know, like, but the way that you guys use that to motivate and kind of lend perspective to, to me and everybody else is I think so like absolutely admirable. Like it, it just, it's an incredible way that you guys have dealt with tragedy and, and made it a positive, like it's, it's a positive time almost every year. It's like, it's weird that I open that post and I feel like happy when I read the post. It's odd. I, I don't know if I'm explaining that right. Yeah, no, you're explaining it right. Cause I'm kind of in your shoes too, Tony. I, I'm, I have four, I have four people to thank. <laughs> And it's Brooke, Brett, Mackenzie, and Tamara. Uh, I, uh, I'm kind of uh, emotionally. I'm the. I don't want to say the the softy, but I, I have a hard time moving forward and not thinking back. And what these people in my life have done was help to me think forward because looking back is not good. It's not good if we were to you know memories are wonderful, but going back to how things went just can't go there. Just can't go there. As soon as my, like even talking right now, as soon as my brain goes there, boom, I go, I make a right turn and get out of there. Cause just, that's not a good place to go. Right. It's a horrible, right. horrible. The whole thing was horrible. Uh, it was a short illness. It was terrible and horrible memories. So they have taught me and that's with Mackenzie's grateful and the way they all use that lime green, which is for lymphoma. It's all, it's everywhere in our lives. And the way we all kind of now as, as a group, move forward that word is so so important because you can't go backwards with this and i've you know i've learned from them too you have two places to go you know go here go here one place is dark and not good and this place is it's the only choice and when you go this way that forward word it it's it makes the stuff that's happened it turns those into great memories. And then, I mean, I'll never forget like with Tamara and McKenzie and the way they talk. And I remember early on, I was like, yeah, right. Whatever, whatever. This is BS. Right. Uh, you, oh, let's thank, uh, let's be thankful for the 14 years we had with Kevin. And I almost wanted to punch the wall. Right. Like it's just, yeah, it's so, but now uh, it's, they've continued to help me go that direction. And, and, and you know what I say me, Maybe all four of us have similar stories. Maybe they all feel like we've all helped each other. It's probably the case. But for me personally, holy hashtag grateful for those four people because, yeah, that, that, that moving forward and turning those wonderful memories into those wonderful memories uh, of those 14 years that we had, Kev. And, uh, I mean, you talk about the, the best brother and sisters in the world. My God, these three are like... And they, they adored Kev too, right? I mean, he's the, yes, he was the youngest of the four of them, but like for two girls to have the baby brother and then for Brett, his baby, I mean, Kevin looked up to Brett like he was Superman, right? Like it was just, it was the greatest four siblings we could ever imagine. And that's why, of course, Tamara and I were so, uh, so proud of them, but uh, more proud than anything now about the way these, these three <laughs> adults now have to move forward. But uh, yeah, more importantly for me, it's the way they've helped me. And, and of course, Tamara, I call her the rock because she's, uh, she's kind of that rock of emotion. I'm sure she has her moments too. We all do, but uh, yeah, so grateful for all of them to be in our lives. And you just, it's funny how things happen, right? You never know when I'm talking to you right now, Tony, and I don't care how many people are listening. Every single person has had tragedy happen in their lives. You just walk down the street and Everybody has been affected or impacted by some sort of tragedy. It doesn't have to be cancer. Doesn't it? It could be some sort of tragedy. But it's so important how we move forward. Now that's what I've learned. And uh, time helps, no question. Time helps. Yeah, whether it was it wasn't one year or two years, probably three, four. <laughs> Keep going. You know, it takes time. But um, 
I would say that we are all in a, a very good place now. And uh, again, forever grateful for the time we had with Kevin. Yeah, that, uh, it is a, it is a tragic and, and then just kind of an inspirational all in one that you guys, though, if you, a lot of times, you know, and I've said to Brooke too, I've had some of my, uh, my darker days since I've met Brooke and it was, you know, it, watching in perspective, you know, it's like, I always say that it's not about like uh, saying like, Oh man, it, and you had it so much or worse than I did, but it, it like, it does help. It does help to say like, man, yeah, I did some things. And I feel pretty bad about some of these things that I saw and did, but man, it, it's not that bad. Like the, it, yeah. what I'm dealing with and you do have a choice to, like to dwell on my issues or to like, look at the positive side of where it's put me in the positions put me in and how I have this great life because mm-hmm. of it, you know? And mm-hmm. I, I think that's uh, I think we could all learn from that, man. And that's definitely something that those, you know, I don't have, I don't speak to Brett too often, but the two young girls in particular that you have, yeah. but, wise beyond their years and you should be i know you're proud and you should be proud there is a um there is a kid's book and i'll never forget reading it to the kids like at night and it was called could be worse and you know i can't remember exactly when anybody you know this could end but could be worse and then you turn the page this happened could be worse and i just that was kind of a saying all along when they were kids because this book was one of their favorites it's funny and i still use that believe it or not i use that line in my head all the time could be worse whatever happens here it could be worse <laughs> so you keep saying could be worse, right? So that's, again, helps you to move forward because that's a, that's a good direction to go. That's outstanding, man. So what's next for you? Like you, uh, this year you're returning to the, uh, is the plan to stay in the booth? Is the plan to get on the field? What, what's the, uh, what's going to go on? Do you know, or do you want to share? So, you know? Right now I'm in uh, the second of a three-year contract with my pre and post game show. And I did fill in in the booth, one of, speaking of cancer, one of our broadcasters buck martinez right. had to step away for a while for treatment this year did come back which was great news and uh, so we had to kind of everybody had to juggle their schedules a little bit to fill in so i did work into in the broadcast booth for four or five series i think i did as the game analyst and i love that it's what i did on radio for four years and filled in a little bit on tv as well so there could be more of that in the future too um, I'm pretty easy. I, I enjoy both. I, uh, when i went and did the game broadcast again it was awesome so i anticipate much the same some of what I'm doing right now, still the pre and post game type stuff on our Blue Jay Central show with Jamie Campbell, and probably also some work in the booth as well. To what extent, I'm not sure yet, but uh, yeah, it's all good. And it's always fun covering the Blue Jays. I mean, it was a very exciting team this year, despite how things ended. And um, when, you're, when you're covering a good team, it's a lot of fun, right? I mean, it'd be tough covering a last place team and coming up with ideas to talk about every day. So we got it pretty good. And that hits home. That hits home. They know that we got some <laughs> lots of ups and down in, in baseball ups and downs because it's a six month season, right? You can't be good for six months and you hopefully aren't bad for six months, but we got it pretty good here in Toronto with the blue Jays club. That should be pretty competitive for years to come. And hopefully the same in Detroit, Tony, I hope turn so, that man. corner, man, turn I that corner. So. I got to say, man, <laughs> what I, well, I remember texting you the day I listened to you. Actually, you were announcing the, the Windsor player. It was his first, uh, you know, at bat in spring training and he got a base hit. That was, oh, yeah. that was a cool thing. I'm like, listen to a Windsor guy, announce the Windsor guy, but no, is uh, you could appreciate this because you, you, we grew up with, there wasn't ability to have the MLB network and all these things yeah. these easy to watch sports. I remember I used to be like, oh my God, I got to watch the Canadian broadcast of this. It's not like that. I actually can get the American broadcast and I watch you guys 
do the playoff stuff because I like, yeah. I love what you guys are doing. I love how you guys, I love how you break down the game. Like I really just enjoy it. So I think you're doing a great job. It's not just because you're Brooks dad. I just really enjoy my, my kids. It is. They're like, there's Mr. Joe. They get pumped every single time. Like, <laughs> like, it's like, I'm like, maybe he was there yesterday too, guys. Like, you know, but it is, it is awesome what you guys are doing there. So I love seeing you on there. I love seeing how happy you are all the time and, and look forward to uh, hopefully having a, a beer next time, a non-gluten beer when, That's you, right. when you come home. Yeah, we're so fortunate in Canada, too, with the Blue Jays, because we're, we are covering a whole country, right? Like, we have a whole country watching, and it's very different than a lot of other regional broadcasts throughout Major League Baseball. I know somebody was joking a couple of weeks ago, uh, somebody with the Yankees was tweeting out, you know, one of their end-of-the-season games, you know, when Judge was going for the home run record, and they were talking about this unreal audience they had of, like, 600,000 or something. And then we were doing one in two million during the playoffs and, and the late run of the Blue Jays just because we got a whole country watching, right? right. So it's, it's, it's pretty spectacular. And it's really cool, too, to hear players talk about that. Like, they feel that. They understand they're playing for a country here. So it's very unique as a Toronto Blue Jay. And uh, hopefully it's a bit of a draw because uh, certainly what they've been able to do these last few years is, uh, is they've spent some money and brought some free agents in. So keep complimenting those pieces and uh, got to go a little bit further in October. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, man, I really appreciate you coming on here today. Um, you know, keep doing what you're doing and you're inspiring. And, and like I said, like from the sports thing is one thing, but as a family man, as a father, as a leader to a family, I, I love seeing what you're doing. I love it. And you're inspiring people just so you know. Well, I'd love to hear that, Tony. I much appreciate it. And I'll, uh, we'll do this another time, catch up on some other things. I mean, you know how many times I said to make a long story short, cause I got a lot of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm going to take advantage of a little backcatcher skill work with my kids too in your there home. There you go. All right. Okay. Thanks, Joe. Thanks a lot, Joe. Take care, man. All right. Bye. Now's the time to do more and be more. 